personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. I'm so excited to be sitting with one of my favorite people today, Sherry Watterson. I am honored that you are here. Sherry is a apparel thought leader. She's been the CPO of Lululemon, Athleta, the CEO of Nasty Gal, and she is human magic. She's been an amazing teacher to me at some really hard times in the growth of my company. She's part of the inspiration for this podcast. She is truly embodies integrated personal and professional development, and she embodies joy in a way that I have never, ever experienced aside from her. It's intoxicating. And every time I leave Sherry, I'm lit up, I'm energized, I'm motivated, and I'm happier than when I came in. Sherry is a magnetic force and she's going to take us through some of her highs and career lows today and give us some really amazing practical wisdom to apply to our lives. That is awesome. My God, <laughs> Denise, you are unbelievable. Well, and by the way, for your audience, you are an incredible speaker. I just looked at your video from the 3% conference that you were at. Thank you. You are a spectacular speaker, dude. Thank you. Really. Well, I yeah. appreciate that yeah, so much. Yeah, uh, it helps when you have something you're passionate about to speak about. But that was a very cathartic talk for me. And thank you for watching it. Oh yes, yes, it was a pleasure. Believe me, simplicity and clarity, thank and passion. You. Yep, that's it. It is. It truly is. So I was listening to this podcast this week. It's called Insights from the Edge, and I forget who the CEO is, but he runs, you know, a big billion dollar IPO company. And he talks about how the collective development of an organization can only reach the limit of the leader. That if your leader doesn't really do inner development or is only so far in their journey, it really sets the cap. And I thought this was really fascinating. The only thing I would say is that in cash flow, but I would love you to sort of talk about that because I think that's how you've built the companies that you've run. And I've seen your employees and how they respond to you. And I just thought you could probably shed some color on sort of your beliefs around that and how you lead. It is so interesting that you just brought this point up, by the way, because I'm reading a book just for anybody's interest called The Power Path, The Shaman's Way to Success in Business and in Life. And it says exactly what you just said, exactly what that gentleman um, told you. And being a leader is a massive responsibility. It's a huge responsibility, and I don't believe it's possible to do it well, particularly in the world that we're moving into, without a tremendous amount of self-knowledge and work to eradicate ego and to create um, an, an atmosphere and environment where you are truly hearing people, you are seeing people for what they are great at, you are nurturing people in that regard, and creating vision um, and mission that is truly value-based and clear. You know, I think uh, part of also a lot of this work that we do is about creating messages that are laser beam simple, to be frank, very, very simple. So that the opportunity is to distill down complex ideas into things that are graspable 
and meaningful. And when did you think you started to clue into that? Like, when did you realize that you were going to have to do deeper personal development to aid your professional career? I think that there's two things that converged. One is that I've always been on a a seeker's mission throughout my whole life uh, spiritually. And the second is bumping up against things that didn't work so well. And I would probably say my second job in this industry was one where um, I was beginning to lead. I was the head of a department. And I noticed that if I didn't have complete integrity in what I was saying, so what I said had to match what I did exactly or better, that people didn't respond. And obviously, it's very obvious why they didn't. But it really made me go back to myself and say, you know, what's going on here? Holding myself accountable to do additional work and just have additional awareness. Does that make sense? Yep. Where did the work start for you? Like, what is like, did you start with therapy? Did you start with reading? Like, what was sort of the the thing that helped you gain further awareness? Reading, for one. Um, I was very into, back in the 80s, reading a lot of spiritual books. And what they were espousing is being heart-centered. As I've, as I've evolved, you know, decades beyond, it's, you know, heart-centered leadership is really where it's at. So it's not only the reading, it's important to read many different books about it because there's always different nuggets that you're going to, you know, extract. But um, it's, it's also being around people that embody that. So who you surround yourself with is extremely important too like to be the next best version of yourself. I love heart-centered leadership. I think that is the perfect sort of summation of who you are and how you show up. And so much of what people forget is that to be a great leader, you have to understand people. It's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about your profits. It's you don't have any of that if you don't nurture and develop your people. A hundred percent. And part of being a heart-centered leader is not just your people, it's the people that you are serving out in the community. So let's just pretend you have a product. In my case, it was apparel. Heart-centered leadership is really knowing your craft. It is offering or exceeding um, the expectations of the person that you are serving. So it's becoming an expert on it. It is taking the responsibility to delight them and to deliver. And so, I mean, it's similar to sort of user experience and technology where you really have to, they say like your user is your referee, like they're the person that you have to understand to actually execute on your iterations and tech successfully. And so in apparel, how do you discover that? Is it just you talking to people? In apparel, how do you discover the craft? Yeah. How to delight your customer. This is so good. My path was learning to study the masters first. So um, I'll just take you back and give you a little history. When I, I guess I got into apparel before I knew that I was going to get into apparel um, because I used to sew every single weekend when I was in high school because I didn't have enough money to buy anything. So I started with, this is awesome. Nobody, nobody will be able to relate to this, but <laughs> <laughs> so let me give you a history lesson. Like the, the simplest patterns used to be simplicity. Then there was Butterick. Then there was McCall's. Then if you were really, really a great sewer, you could, you could sew Vogue. And I eventually got into Vogue patterns. And there I started understanding the craft. And then later when I, my very first job in apparel, um, after I got sidetracked because I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, but that's a whole nother story. 
I worked at Joseph Magnin, which at that time was like Barney's in that it was um, a contemporary luxury store. And in that, I learned from the great designers, fabric, construction, detail, the cut of a garment, the drape of a garment, and so on. And that gave me a lot of insight. So I think studying the masters, whoever they are at the moment, is one way to really become great. That doesn't mean you have to copy the masters. It's that you understand where they're coming from so that you can riff off of greatness. And I think that that's a a really important thing. And also having it on your body, understanding things on your body. So having a personal experience with the things that give you joy so that you can share them with others, both verbally and in 3D. Do you still sew? I don't, but you know what? I'd actually really love to do it. I don't know if I could fit a sewing machine in my house. It's pretty small, but I would really love to. I I would take great joy in it because it's essentially, um, it's like a little piece of soft architecture, isn't it? That's how I mean, that's how I feel about it. I feel like it's such a expression of who people are. I don't know if you know this, but my concentration in college that I created with clothing as culture. Oh my God, I did not. That is, (laughs) that is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. <laughs> well, it really it tells so much styling, it tells so so much and design. Um, it's just like art, exactly. Yeah, not only about who you are, but also what's going on in society, right? Cultural signifiers are such a big piece of understanding a time period and humanity and how it operates. And so it's such a you know, I think sometimes people look at clothing as sort of vapid or flippant or surface. What they really don't understand is that it's a form of art, and there's a deeper meaning between how people show up. And so if, if you do wear athleisure all the time, you're telling us that comfort is an important part of your personality and how you move through space. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, we undervalue it sometimes, I think in our society. Um, but I think it's a really, really important part of culture. You know, I think it's also just an important part of being a human being it, whatever your particular style is, or however you choose to dress is, is wonderful and beautiful. And they're all equally wonderful because they're your own self-expression. But, you know, one thing I read recently that gives me such joy is that there is something called charm. And charm is how you are in the world. It's kindness, but it's also beauty. And taking the time to groom yourself and to honor whatever your own self-expression is to give others joy as well. Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. Yeah, this is an old book from the 60s. It's phenomenal, but it made me so happy. But I think you've touched on something. So you really do do embody joy. Like I've, I've never quite seen anything like it. And I'm in awe because I'm like, how does she stay so curious and joyful? And you know, that's one thing to be curious and joyful in times that are easy. But Uh I've also seen you this way when things weren't so easy. And I remember we became friends. Um, I think when you were, you just taken over CEO of Nasty Gal and you had some challenges there. Mm -hmm. And I was really amazed at how you didn't let those hardships consume you. Mm-hmm. You were still able to be this, the person you like, you're this constant, like you're this person, you're curious and joyful when things are good and things are bad. How do you become that way? Like, how do you, what are the things that you've learned to help you show up in that capacity? Yeah. I think it's first shows up as grit. You know, there's this thing called grit, which is 
tenacity and the, uh, I think the ability to be able to push through things that are just not, you wouldn't choose them probably, right? That are unpleasant. So it first comes up as grit because you have to do it because you chose to be there. So in all integrity, you have to do the very, very best you can in the situation that you're served up with and the people that you're with. But later, there's other nuances to this. And part of it is what I've learned in life is looking backward, saying, I wish of, I wish I would have, I wish I could have, I should have done this and that. And believe me, reflection, self-reflection is very important. So I'm not discounting self-reflection, but I'm talking about clinging to things that aren't as great as you wish that they would be. The heaviness in that is so distracting. The heaviness of carrying that on your shoulders actually takes you away from being able to solve problems well or to see possibility or to find joy. And finally, carrying around and harboring bad feelings is something that I, I just, I, I cannot do. I, it's just, it's not in me. It takes way too much energy to hang on to them versus to let them go. And what that does then is allows you to the capacity for joy. So this is interesting because I think in the hardest times in leadership and now in, in life, being a person of joy is honestly a responsibility. Isn't that funny? And I, I mean, it is, it's something that you need to find because people need that from you. People need that from us and people really need it right now. Yes, they do. But I was going to say that's exactly right, because when you're running a company organization, whatever, whatever form of leadership you're in, it starts and stops with you that if you're distraught, your company's distraught. If you're not making them feel safe, they don't feel safe because you are the the reflection. Right. Correct. But that's easier said than done. Oh, hell yeah. Sometimes you walk in and you have to take a deep breath before you let's just say you walk into the office and go, okay. You're on, you are on and you pull it together. You pull your energy together. You are positive and you, you know, are encouraging for others. It's an absolute must and it's a responsibility. It's something that I put a lot of currency in that. I do too. At certain times, you know, so much of the challenges in my company, I wasn't able to just let it go, right? You're talking about clinging to things that are heavy. And I think what I failed to realize at the time is that, I was thinking very binary mm-hmm. and the reality is there's infinite possibilities for how things work and evolve and, cr- and are created. And Amen. I think that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I think obviously like the older you get, the more challenges you face. I think for me, it's become easier to be like, well, I have no idea how this is going to play out. I can let things go more easily knowing that I've experienced enough to be in a place where it's a little bit more freeing. A hundred percent. And it's interesting because through that energy, what you attract, you know, you become a magnet for what you want. That's very important. And it might not be the thing right in front of you. It might be down the road. All of what we do in our life is attracting the next best thing. That's my view right now. As an example with COVID, I chose to move. (laughs) This is so crazy. I don't know how I ended up in St. Helena, swear to God, in the middle of COVID, I picked up everything and ended up buying this house. Which by the way, guys, is like a dream house. Like she manifested this house. She's been looking for her house for years. Like I saw her, what, two years ago. And she's like, I'm looking for this house. She couldn't find it. And then all of a sudden she finds this like perfect, idyllic dream cottage. It is. It's so crazy. And I remember back in the day, it was, I don't know, 20 years ago. 
but I'd written a check with some friends of mine. And just so that we would claim this destiny, we wrote in a check, St. Helena or bust, Sherry Watterson, blah, 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 blah. And they did the same. And I'd forgotten that until the day that I moved in. And I went, this is the craziest, craziest thing. But going back to, to what I was saying, you know, somebody said, what are you going to be doing now? And I go, one of five things. And they go, well, which one are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know yet. I don't know. Because right now it's going inside and being out in nature and gardening and being with my family and, and so forth that, and doing Kundalini yoga for two days, <laughs> stuff like that, that actually gets you in a state of mind that you, you are open to the next thing. And basically you need to always say yes, say yes, yes, yes to whatever shows up in your life. I also think the next thing will be revealed. Of course. I agree a hundred percent. That's right. It always is. It always has been in my career. Um, when I wondered what the next step is, it, it shows up and it's always something better than I could have imagined, honestly. Well, I've gotten really my whole new thing is sort of I've set all these arbitrary goals over the course of my career and you either hit them and realize you didn't want it or you don't hit them. And you're like, why am I setting these goals? And really, it's about process. It's about joy because that that will light up the benchmark, the goal. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I'm going to go back to something else that you just asked. I just glanced down at something that I wrote last night. It goes back to how do you know what you're going to do? And And how do you keep yourself open to possibilities? And I was looking, I was just thinking about one of the prized possessions that I got was actually a a precursor to a lot of things that have happened to me in my life. And my prized possession is something that my father gave me when I was, I'm going to say my mid thirties. He was a school administrator and it was a large manila folder with, you know, brass tacks in the side to hold together the pages that he'd put in. And they were um, um, IBD articles, Investors Business Daily articles about great people who have done great things. And also a letter. But the outside of the um, Manila envelope, he illustrated, <laughs> it's classic, and it was called Puffs. That, that's my nickname, Puff. Puffs Lil Success Book. And on the outside of that book was planes and wine and clothes and books and there was speaking and there was all these different illustrations that he did on the outside and on the inside he wrote me a letter and like the letter was talking about how in his life he had never really been able to express his love for me and how he admired me as a human being. And then he also wanted me to know that he wished that he had had children that were practice kids before he had his real kids so that he could have done a better job. But in that he concluded with the world is your oyster. You have inner beauty and talent and you will basically manifest more than you thought was possible in your life. And I thought to myself, First of all, I opened this the day before I was announced CEO of Nasty Gal, which I thought really interesting that I found it in something I call my memory box. And it was right on top, which is weird. And one other thing, by the way, that he mentioned was humor, that you have to love to laugh all the time. And 
and, and look back on that. And that must be, I must be, have been subconsciously carrying that around with me, you know, just to say that anything's possible and you, it's all in you essentially. But isn't that a beautiful thing? That is the most beautiful. It's so crazy. I think about this. I, I about a year ago asked my mom, my bat mitzvah was the week of 9-11. And so my whole family couldn't come. Yep. And so my grandpa, who was sick at the time and passed away shortly after, wrote me a letter and gave me two books. And at the time, you know, I read the letter, had the books. But last year I told my mom, I said, I think I missed something. Mm-hmm. I need to reread that letter and I need to get those books. Oh, wow. And I read the letter. And this is, you know, at the time where I'm sort of starting to recontextualize what I'm doing in my company and where I'm going. And it was this letter about Denise you are a very specific dynamic person and you can't compromise who you are and you can't not chase your dreams. You need to chase your dreams. Yeah, absolutely. And have no regrets. And it was this this moment where I find it interesting that these things show up when you need them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that like you open that up the day before you're announced CEO of Nasty Gal. I mean, what is more beautiful and poetic than this thing that you need the day before you step into this really sort of more public position? crazy. It's just, it's so the universe works in the most beautiful ways and it always is knocking on your door. You know, the other thing about creating your future is it's this or something better. So things that we imagine are, um, you know, they're, they're within our context of what we know generally. Um, and this or something better always allows for you to be surprised and delighted. So after I left Nasty Gal, as an example, one thing that I realized in my life is I get so focused on career, like 100% focused, um, that I, I say no to a lot of things, a lot of things. And I said to myself, when you leave, you are going to say yes to everything that shows up. And it's kind of like a double dog dare to myself. Like, even if you don't want to do it, you're totally doing it. You are totally doing it. And it was unbelievable what continued to happen. Like I was telling you that story about when um, Fia had created her first Nasty Gal Summit with 500 people and speakers and so forth. She said, you know, will you speak? And she's, you know, she goes, I know it's only like five days from now, but would you do that? I said, sure. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about, but sure. And um, I ended up instead doing an interview with Sarah Robo Hagen because she just- um, I remember this. Yeah. It was she great. Just, she just released her book called Extreme You. So um, we were in the green room before we went on stage. We were just talking. I was telling her stories and she's so unbelievable. I love that girl, that woman rather. And she, she's like, dude, you have a book in you for sure. And I go, I think I do. I do. I think I have a couple books. I don't know who's going to read them. But I, I definitely have a couple you books. You have a couple books. I will read them. I think they'll be bestsellers. We're on the team, team books. That's awesome. But at any rate, she just goes, do you want me to hook you up with my editor? I said, sure, absolutely. Let's do it. And she just goes, okay, good. And I didn't think anything of it after that because people say a lot of things and get busy and so on. But sure enough, this woman called me up and said, all right, Sarah says really great things about you. And if you want to write a book, then this is how my husband and I do it. You have to come stay with us for three days and stay in our house. We are going to interview you for three days. 
and we're going to see if you have a book. And so she, she was, um, you know, asking me questions about career and some of my ideas. And so I got to talking and she goes, you know, we don't do spiritual books. Is this a spiritual book? I'm like, I don't think so. And anyway, after three days of being interviewed in Santa Fe, New Mexico, this is the coolest story. I love it so much. Because first of all, I would have normally said no, because I'm like, I don't even know these people. I don't even know <laughs> Like what? No way. I don't even know. They might not even like me. This could be horrible, you know. But at any rate, they were the most charming and amazing couple. And I feel like I got three days of free therapy, to be honest, with them, because they, they took me through things and asked me so many questions in a way that I had to be completely honest with myself about what happened, good, bad, and indifferent. And so um, after, after those days, um, <laughs> they said, well, and this through after many tears during these interviews, they said, well, we think you have a book, but we think it's a spiritual book. <laughs> You love it. And I'm like, it is. They're like, yeah, it is. And they go, this is the best part. They go, and we're not done with you. We are not done with you. We have learned so much from you being so honest, taking us through this journey with you. We have to have you tonight for dinner. Will you stay? And I'm like, hell yeah. Is that the best story? But you know what you told me when you first told me the story that you may not remember Mm. was that when they asked you if it was a book, it was a spiritual book or a business book, you said, well, of course, because you can't have one without the other. Oh, I did that. (laughs) But that's true, right? Right. But that's what stuck with me was I was like, she's right. Because when you're talking about the type of leader that you are, heart-centered leadership, there's Mm -hmm. no way for you to be that leader without being spiritual. And so anyways, that's what I remember. I remember it being like something that stuck with me, seared in my brain as a real, real takeaway for me. That's awesome because it is totally true. And particularly going forward in the world that we are, that we're living in right now, it's calling all of us. And I'm still waiting on this book. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) By the way, (laughs) I, I, this book, we're putting it out there. My plants and see, and my animal creatures that live with me here. Yeah. It's time. It's time. That's awesome. I would love to just ask you because you've been through a few different sort of public challenges uh, Mm -hmm. being a leader of a company. And I want to know for you, what was the one that was sort of the hardest, the most visceral? And then what was the great learning? Yeah, cool. The the hardest public one was um, Lululemon, for sure. Um, I'd been with Lululemon for a little over five years. And it was a magical, honestly, ride. I would say those five years were really magical. The leadership team was awesome. And what I loved about it was that we built the company from 200 million at that time until just, you know, shy of 2 billion. So it was unbelievable. And what was wonderful about it is the creative freedom that the team and I had, because each of the leadership had completely different strengths and we all honored each other's strengths. So that was a wonderful learning. And then, and then building product that had never been seen before by merging couture with active and designer with active. So really making active something that was covetable 
And then of course the community, which was one of the other pieces of magic of that company. But during that time, there was um, a problem with um, sheerness of the product. And Christine had decided to pull most of the inventory on, on uh, certain bottoms. And that created a lot of challenges, frankly. The, the board decided that essentially somebody had to go and it was me, which is interesting because anybody that understands apparel knows that there's third party inspection there. We have our own inspectors. So it's a very rigorous process in order to be a fabric manufacturer and a garment manufacturer in a company like that. There was fallout and um, I was the fallout essentially. And I'll never forget, and this is the good, bad, and the ugly, you know what I mean? Nobody wants it to happen that you, you know, that you're asked to leave. But what's fascinating is, and this is amongst so much goodwill. Christine called me aside and said, we had a really rough board meeting this time. And, you know, this came up and essentially it's either going to be me or you, and it's going to be you. And I said, okay, I understand. And um, I said, but, you know, one of the things I want you to know is tomorrow is going to be a strategy meeting and you I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. And this is so funny. This is how naive I am. He's <laughs> like, I go, I'll just do that tomorrow. It'll be awesome. It'll set you guys up for the next quarter and it'll be great. And she's looking at me going, no. And I'm like, okay, well, what I can do is at any rate, it was so funny. In other words, <laughs> your last day, Watterson, get a grip. And I was like figuring out how I could set them up for the next quarter. And it's so funny. I do the same but, thing though, always. I'm like, let me help you transition. Let me help you with this. And you're like, and everyone's like, uh, but it's because you care. It's bigger than you. Of course, of course it is. And so, um, and there's a lot, there were so many great people there and so on, but that was rough. And the very next day and for the weeks following, because of how it came down and because people knew what the team and I had accomplished in the last five years, including some board members, called me to let me know that they were, that they supported me. And if they didn't know me personally, they knew me from afar and that they, they just wanted to offer their hand and support. For every single company that was a competitor, they, I had the head, the CEO call me. Is that incredible? I'm not surprised because how you show up, it's, it's a no brainer. People would want you to be involved. And that's the price of leadership. I mean, when you're running a company or a department, I think that sometimes, you know, you have to take the fall, even if it's not hundred percent your fault. Of course. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, when I was consulting with Athleta years later, they uh, the head of design walked up to me and goes, because I, you know, I told them about my past and somebody asked me about Lululemon. I, you know, told them what I just told you. And they said, you know what, we have to thank you. You don't know there's more than a handful of vertical manufacturers that had the same thing happening at the same time. Wow. And it's because there was a measurement was missing. There was a statistic missing from what would have probably surfaced that at the, at the QA point, which is called modulus, which is the power with which something a fabric holds together. Mm. Uh, anyway, it was, it's fascinating. <laughs> that had to happen in the industry, no matter what. It just happened to happen to me first. <laughs> But I also t 
tell people too, because I've been let go from a couple jobs and everyone's, you know, you get, you've a lot of fear around like what that means. And I think a, it's pretty much inevitable. I think if you're a leader that at some point it's going to happen, but what happens is, is really you see your reputation at work and you see that like, it really doesn't affect you because if you show up in a way that you're heart centered, you're thoughtful, you're kind, you're intelligent. Like people know that they feel that. And just because something like didn't work out, there's a hundred factors and reasons as to why it didn't work out. A hundred percent. And what's so great is I'm still friends with the leadership today. I've had members of the board call me and, and want them to want to work with me um, again. And so it, it all comes out in the wash. I think it's a matter of there's this word that continues to come up for me and I wish it was my name, which is grace. I really wish my name was grace because it is one of the biggest virtues that you can carry around with you in your life and develop, which is, I guess, humility, kindness, and strength all combined. Yep. And I think that that is something that I've learned over and over um, in my life, that those are, those are, those are pieces that I want to continue to develop. They always serve you. They do always serve you. And I think life has a way of humbling you time and time again. It's inevitable. You'll bump into life. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, what tools we have at the time to deal with it. But thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Sure. No, it's my pleasure. So we're going to jump into the rapid fire questions. Okay, here we go. So it's five questions. Same ones for every guest. Just give me your gut reaction. Mm -hmm. What would you tell your 20 year old self? Hmm. I would say, stop doubting yourself. Stop doubting yourself and take the time to own your authentic gifts, whatever they are, and stop diminishing your authentic gifts. They're easy for you because they're a gift, but they're not what everyone has. So celebrate it. I love that. Mm -hmm. What's the last book you read? The Power Path, The Shaman's Way to Success and Business in Life. The Power Path. Yeah, it's, I'm not that into psychics, but I, I just recently talked to one. Do you love it? I mean, I've got time, right? I'm, you know, we're all a shelter in place. But anyway, this book, she goes, I really want you to read this. I told her what I wanted to do in my life, you know, going forward. And she goes, this is really going to serve you. I have to say it's, it's good. It has some really good key points. And before that, this is wacky. I was reading um, The Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life. Wow. And volume two. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. (laughs) I'm going to I'm going to text you later for that. I'm going to get get all those books. Yeah. What are you struggling with right now? I'd say the struggle, if if I would want to call it that would be what am I going to do next? And when I'm when am I going to activate it? So there's things that, you know, in your heart that you want to do, but the universe only <laughs> responds when you take action on them. So it can support you when you do that. Um, and so I, I, I need to do that, but I've actually given myself the grace using that word again to have a minute. I guess the struggle is it's actually giving myself the grace to chill out, relax, read, be in nature, be with my family, be fully fortified for this next chapter, which I think will take a lot of energy and I'm actually looking forward to it. So Well, this will segue us into probably some similar notes. What is bringing you joy right now? First of all, being in a home and nesting and being able to be creative within a physical space is 
so freaking joyful gardening and um, being with animals and being with my family. And honestly, the simplest thing of being friends with some of the shopkeepers and some of my neighbors and enjoying their company. That gives me such joy. I'm seeing a version of you as, you know, the opening scene in Beauty and the Beast when Belle's like saying hi to all the <laughs> shopkeepers. My, I have a squirrel. His name is Sherman. And he, you know, creates havoc in the backyard. I have a blue jay and his, his partner. He's called Mr. Chubby. Because he's the baddest bird I've ever seen. He must eat a lot of nuts or whatever they eat. And then I have, I have gophers. It's the go-go family. Oh my God. This is, yeah, we'll, we'll animate this. Um, okay. <laughs> what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. The best piece of advice I've ever received is deeply love yourself. Mm. Sounds trite, but to truly do that opens the path for being a great leader, a great mother, a great friend. And it, it just radiates wholeness and happiness and joy, strength, all of that. I love that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to run us into some of the takeaways. I think one of the very important takeaways here is to become a heart-centered leader, which means that there's some work involved for all of those of you that aspire to that. But I think that's a really, really beautiful and important way for us to show up in the world. Who we surround ourselves with is who we so, become. Oh, absolutely. Yep. So I think that's really important for you to take note of who's making you feel good, who's bringing you joy, whose values align with yourself. One thing I love that Sherry brought up is when we cling to things that leave a weight on our shoulders, we need to learn to let those go. And it's very much easier said than done. But I think that with some self-reflection and getting rid of some limiting beliefs, you can find yourself in a place where you can show up and be full of joy and full of curiosity. One of the things you said is say yes, say yes to everything and to lead with grace and be a person of grace. Yes, that's great. <laughs> well, what was great was this conversation. I can't thank you enough for doing this. I could talk to you forever. And I think that you have so much wisdom to share and you've been such an integral part of my personal growth and journey. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Denise. You are, you bring me joy and I'm so happy that we know each other and I'm so excited for both of our futures. So, oh my goodness. Thank you all for listening. You can continue to listen and subscribe to do the work on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. It makes a huge difference if you can review, if you can share and rate this podcast. Thank you so much to Entertainment Speakers Bureau, to Angela, to Nichelle, to David, to Matt, to Smart Post Sound, Lenny for that musical intro, Lindsay for the graphics. I am forever in gratitude. I hope you all find and continue to live in your purpose.